Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us once again. It's my great pleasure to welcome Ankush Gupta to today's episode of B2B Uncovered. Now, Ankush is the founder of Eventable.com. It's the world's first B2B events review platform. And he's got over 20 years experience as a B2B marketeer in industries ranging from corporate learning, development, and software services. But now Ankush is emerged in the world of B2B events. And I'd say he's pretty well qualified to give us some great insights into today's theme, which is what is the future for B2B events? So before we dive in, can I ask you, Ankush, to give us a short intro on what your company does and who it serves? Uh, well, thanks for those uh, you know very kind words, uh, Paul. I think when you when you say twenty years like that, it's it does sound like a very very long time. <laughs> uh, you know, it, you know, it just seems to have gone by in a flash, right? So uh, tell me about you know, it. As you tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as 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 you mentioned, you know, I've been a B two B marketer for so long. Um, you know, and I have huge appreciation for all the B2B marketers who are watching, uh, watching or listening to this right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know how tough, um, you know, the last couple of years have been. Um, but I also know that, you know, you're so resilient uh, and you really have all the skills uh, to see this uh, time through. Uh, about what it is, uh, Paul, that uh, I'm doing right now. Uh, I'm working on building a startup, which, as you mentioned, is called Eventable.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea really for Eventable or a review platform really came to me when, um, you know, in my past after as a B2B marketing guy, um, I was attending a few large events in, in the United States, right? right? So like a Dreamforce or a Marte conference. And every time I'd go over to one of these, my natural impulse was to Google and see, uh, hey, can I find reviews? You know, sure. um, what's a marketer like me have to say about these events? And I found nothing, zilch, right? And I, I thought that was a bit odd. Um, you know, literally that, you know, these days, uh, we, we're sort of living in a review economy where, mm-hmm. you know, right down to buying or ordering a pizza from, you know, a, a store down the street or <laughs> buying a book on Amazon, you know, you tend to really look for reviews on everything, right? 100%. And, and, 100%. and when, when you're expected to pony up, uh, $1,500 or $1,000, uh, you know, for a large event, uh, you know, before making the participation decision, you can't look at reviews. Uh, so that really got me thinking. And I said, hey, you know, uh, if everything else is reviews, why can't there be reviews for, uh, for events to help attendees like myself or, you know, or like the folks watching uh, make a participation decision, which is really based on sound data, right? Which is, you know, what, the, what their peers have said in the past, uh, so really, the thought process came from there, and we started building this thing um, smack in the middle of the of the global pandemic, right? right. Which was around June or July of, of 2020. So that was a very interesting time, um, you know, to really sit back, reflect, and and there's so much change going on, and you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that as as we go along. Mm-hmm. So much flux going on around us, and to be building this thing, you know, smack in the middle of that was was a very interesting time indeed. Yeah, I bet. Um, I think I read, I read a little bit of history on why you started that event, mm-hmm. and it goes back, as you mentioned, to one of those big yeah. events. I think Dreamforce right. was. Dreamforce, I know, yeah. Was it about 2015, if I recall yes. correctly? Yes, I was yes. there in the early days, in in about 2008, believe it or not. And I, I, oh, I haven't wow. been back. This, yeah, and no, I haven't been back since. Yeah. But I can imagine it's probably 30 times as large. So yeah, so yeah. that was the catalyst. So what happened between 2015 and 2020? Uh, you had this idea. 
Yeah. So hi, this idea, uh, Paul, and you know, you know, and I kept thinking for the longest time, uh, why isn't nobody else doing it? You know, because mm-hmm. uh, when you have an idea, you you know, the, your first impulse is to look around and see does it already exist? Has somebody been able to pull it off? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and as time went by, and you know, there was really uh, no other platform that sort of popped up, right, mm-hmm. for event reviews. Okay. And at the at the same time, though, the category for software reviews. Uh, became very, very mature. So right from 2015 to 2020, uh, uh, you know, the G2.com, the Trustradius, yep. uh, Software Advice, you know, all of, all of these guys became really, really well accepted and they went mainstream. And they went mainstream to a point where SaaS companies now have even created a, a, a job role called um, customer advocacy, um, you know, managers, whose, mm-hmm. whose job it is to send their clients to different review platforms uh, and, and get them to leave reviews, right? Because, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, the, the software space, the software, you know, industry, the SaaS uh, industry has realized the power of reviews and how much they can influence uh, the future uh, purchase or subscriptions of their products. No, definitely. Uh, G2. I mean, when I, when I first uh, heard about this, I, exactly that. I said, oh, it's the G2 for B2B events. It's, it, as you said, we live in a peer yep. review economy. And yep. yeah, absolutely. The uh, first thing I do is I will, um, pretty much a first search term I will put in is I'll put review and then whatever I'm reviewing. And, you know, I'm and looking Paul, for you know, uh, you know, just a, a few weeks back, um, I happened to be talking to uh, Sir Martin Sorel. Mm-hmm. Um, who, had, who had just uh, spoken at, you know, one of the Ad World conferences. Yeah, and the I, way listened, that, I listened to that interview, by the way. It was excellent. Yeah, thank you. And, and the way that uh, Sir Martin put it was that what used to be um, a word of mouth earlier, you know, back in the day, as he said, has simply uh-huh. become an online review now, which makes so much sense, right? Because these days you just don't have the time to go out on the street and talk to people and see what they have to say, uh, you know, as, as life uh, goes along and, crawls towards, um, you know, the metaverse, um, yep. you know, which has become yep. the, you know, the, the, the term these days, right. um, you know, more and more people are going to be looking for reviews, uh, for data points, making the decisions, you know, as they go about their lives. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is, so, so that sets the context of Eventable. I got it. And mm-hmm. I'm sure listeners have as well. Okay. But you started this right in the thick of a pandemic and, mm-hmm. and people were working from home, physical Physical events were basically mothballed or binned, and uh, the the rise of the virtual event really oh, yeah. took steam. It was there before, but much, 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 much smaller. Zoom yeah. suddenly became a household name, yeah. and and the rest is history, or is it? Um, I suppose my question would be: uh, I remember the press release for Eventable talked about uh, a market valuation of a trillion dollars for for business mm-hmm. events globally. That's a big, right. big number. Uh, research I looked at said that pre-pandemic. There was a 31 billion pounds sterling spend on UK mm-hmm. B2B events. That's a big number, whatever number it yeah. is. Yeah. And you can sort of add that up. And you look at 31 billion, what's that, about $50 billion globally with a trillion, a thousand. Yeah, you can sort of see well where the, where the trillions come from. Okay, got it. Right. Um, but my question would be is um, – what is currently happening? I mean, there's a lot, uh, there's yeah. so much happening with events and we're going to try and yeah. uncover that and look at where the future is going. But from right. someone who's right there looking at mm-hmm. this every day, give us an overview of what you're currently seeing happening with B2B events. Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a good question, Paul. And I think, you know, as I told you, when we started, it was smack in the middle of uh, the global pandemic. And, um, you know, when this whole tidal wave really hit, I would say, all, all B2B marketers, all event marketers, field marketers, corporate events personnel, really hard. 
right? Because, um, you know, suddenly what you do for a living, you know, you produce live events, you produce mm-hmm. in-person events, you know, all of that um, suddenly comes to a grinding halt, right? So what do you do? And, you know, and I, uh, I think uh, that just by virtue of uh, B2B marketers being so resilient and having to be the jack of all trades, mm-hmm. um, you know, right, as a B2B marketer, especially in a, in a smaller company, right, where there aren't so many departments um, within the marketing function and you're expected to do a little bit of everything, Right. right. You do you do brand, you do PR, you do demand gen, you do uh, a little bit of everything. And I think that really gives you as a B2B marketer the superpower uh, to be resilient, to absorb and to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Because what happened after live events and in-person events came to a grinding halt well, was when we actually saw the rise of Zoom. And, you know, uh, there are 300 event tech platforms uh, in business now. Right. Wow. So I think a decade's worth of uh, investment uh, was probably poured into these companies within the span of a few months. Uh, right. And I think, um, you know, the last someone told me was, you know, they probably have a collective valuation of $10 billion, uh, these 300 event tech platforms. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so suddenly, um, you know, the whole, your whole tech stack scenario changes. And as a B2B event marketer, now you have to align yourself to uh, carrying on the show, but with an entirely new tech stack, mm-hmm. right? Now you have to navigate your way through these 300 providers, 300 suppliers of event platforms. Which one do you choose? It's not very easy, right? You have to get onto a new learning curve, right? You have to, you have to really, um, work your event promotions and marketing in a different way. You know, what people responded to earlier, the incentives for coming to an in-person event, which could be to network with their peers, mm-hmm. right? Uh, simply doesn't exist anymore, right? Because, uh, so so what do you do really? So, I mean, so all of this was the context in which B2B marketers really had to step up to the challenge uh, to get onto the learning curve, to navigate their way through yeah. a new tech stack uh, and really keep the show going, which I think they did a tremendous job of. Yeah. Right. They did a tremendous job. Uh, so marketers, I mean, they felt their way through it. They learned that, okay, now people, uh, the incentive, the networking part is taken off as an incentive. So what do people really want? So now people really want the learning and development component to shine through. Right. So the marketers who programmed, uh, who programmed better, who, who got better speakers on board, really thrived uh, with, with in, in this whole age of virtual events. Mm-hmm. And now we see that, you know, along with uh, the global vaccines, um, you know, rolling out, in-person events are coming back. And in fact, on our, on our own website, um, eventable.com, we have a global events tracker. So if somebody's interested, they can go and take a look at that, right? So uh, a lot of the countries are coming back. Of course, the US is back in a very big way. Uh, and I think, but the lessons that we've learned at this time, the lessons that we've learned over the last one year are going to stay with B2B event marketers for a very, very long time, right? So they've probably understood the power that a virtual event uh, platform or hosting a virtual event can bring you, right? You can now market to an audience around the world. You don't have to really be constricted to people coming over to a particular city or or an event venue, right? But at the same time, now you appreciate more what you had earlier, right? The intimacy, the intimacy, the networking, you know, the shaking of hands, sharing a pint at the local, Mm -hmm. you know, all of those things are what you took for granted is, you know, Mm -hmm. what you probably have developed a better appreciation for. Well, and you know, it's only when things are taken away do you realise the value of it. Absolutely, uh, and that yeah, is absolutely. Yeah, that's true in life. I think yeah. a couple of interesting things there. Um, okay, so we understand. Yeah, B two B marketers are resilient. They they really mm-hmm. have to be able to survive and thrive in whatever um, in yeah. whatever circumstances, mm-hmm. and they're good at doing it for for the reasons mm-hmm. that you've cited. Clearly, there's been um, a, a tech learning stack 
in order to, to learn, to understand mm-hmm. it. I mean, there's 10,000 plus MarTech tools. You of all people oh, yeah. will know that because yeah. you started many years ago, yeah. MarTechAdvisor.com, which That's got right, sold, sold to Ziv Davis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so and, and you, I can see that you've still got an interest in MarTech, obviously, because it's yeah. a big component yeah. of events. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so you've got this learning You've got this learning curve and you've, you've got also the fact that, of course, people want to get together. But now, I don't know about elsewhere, in the UK, we are sitting on so much uncertainty again. So, you know, it's, yep. it's just coming it's sort of ebbs and flows. And, and people right. now think, you know, I think the advice now is you've got to stay at home and work. Whereas yep. a month ago, everybody was, right, you know, bombing into the office. The pubs were busy. Don't get me wrong. It's still pretty vibrant here in yep. London. But if I were sitting at, uh, you know, looking at 2022, thinking about, oh, you know, what's the event plan going to be like? I'd be taking a, a safe bet and going, mm-hmm. I just cannot risk going and, and organizing a physical event with today's knowledge, bearing in mind that right. there is just this so much uncertainty. And in fact, LinkedIn <clears throat> did a yeah. study recently of 200 B2B event mm-hmm. organizers and 72% of those organizers said they will maintain virtual events in the long term. And an increasing mm-hmm. amount of budget is going to go right. towards that. So it's here, right? Yeah. I, so let's now, let me sort of add something into the mix here. The hybrid mm-hmm. event, the hybrid event. Obviously, there's yeah. going to be hybrid, right? So tell me yeah. what hybrid event is in your definition. So I think, you know, first, uh, you know, when you say, well, the LinkedIn study is interesting, when you say that, you know, more and more people are going to allocate an increasing amount of budget to virtual events, that's certainly going to sound like music to the ears of the virtual event platforms, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. who I think for a moment were like, um, you know, now what do we do now that live events will come back? Will people abandon us or, you know, will they continue, etc.? But I think it is a very interesting time. I think people to some extent now, uh, have become used to the ebbs and flows, as you put it. Uh, it is it is taken for you know it is it is well accepted that mm-hmm. uh, you know this thing is not going to go away entirely and and so quickly, right? There's going to be have to be more work put in. You know maybe there's another round of booster shots, or you know you you spend another year wearing masks as 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 you go around. Uh, you know, practicing social distancing. Uh, there is still some amount of work left uh, to be able to get on top of this thing. Um, but I think that B2B marketers now uh, really, event marketers really want to uh, do in-person events again, um, you know, uh, purely because they're comfortable with it, right? This is something they've done for the longest time. People have done it for a decade, two decades, right? But at the same time, they've now accepted the benefits of hosting a virtual event, mm-hmm. right? And you've seen the ease at which you can really market it to an audience around the world, Right. Doesn't really have to be in your country or, you know, all around the world. Uh, So I think there's going to be a little bit of both going on. Right. So some people will have an in-person event purely so that the community that they're nurturing gets together. Uh, And, you know, and that's an intimacy that you really can't replace with a virtual event ever. And at the same time, I I think that these, um, you know, uh, event marketers will also roll out smaller editions of virtual events. Uh, purely for the ease uh, at which they can market this thing and bring in audiences from all over. Now, in the middle of all of this, there, you know, there is a new concept called a hybrid event, right? Which simply means that you simulcast, uh, you know, the in-person event while it's going on to a virtual audience, mm-hmm. right? So basically try and get in the benefits of both worlds uh, as it may be. But mm-hmm. that uh, hybrid events really, except for some large events who've had the money to pour into the technology setup, um, hasn't really taken off. 
right and i i personally don't think uh, it will take off to such a large extent um, you know because it's a it's a very involving uh, setup right the the tech that you need the camera setups the you know the way the speakers are trained all of that really needs to be coordinated very very well mm-hmm. and uh, it's really out of the budgetary reach of smaller companies for sure uh, you know so i'll give you an example i mean if you if if an event organizer is hosting a, a hybrid event and the speaker uh, is now speaking to uh, the in person audience right and they feel the engagement with the speaker because he's looking at them he's talking to them mm-hmm. asking them questions but at the same time the virtual audience might get a little disconnected right so how do you really uh, manage uh, these things right because uh, he can't be in both places he can't be talking to virtual and the in person right the engagement is 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 a very fluid concept uh, so these are some things that we'll really have to get on top of mm. right the the networking that happens at, at the in person event versus the networking that happens um, you know for the virtual event you know simultaneously i'm going to mean very different things yeah right no, and people no. have tried people have people are trying to solve some of these challenges mm-hmm. i know there are some brilliant minds trying to solve networking for example you know for virtual events mm-hmm. but i don't think it's it's quite there yet and, and it is going to take some time well i mean, i totally agree with you on that front i mean um i attended one recently and i i came away thinking hmm there's a lot of work gone into that but i don't mm-hmm. think it's really left a fantastic impression on the audience um but that's another issue and i think yeah. obviously that comes into it so networking um so so let's yeah, just well, go back so what you so what you're basically saying is hybrid yep it's actually but hybrid's been around for a little while but obviously mm-hmm. it's come into the fore now with the pandemic and what you're basically saying right. is look it's a big investment there's a high learning curve big cost in order to pull that mm-hmm. off so therefore you don't and and you're seeing in the market that that's not really getting a grip it's either virtual right. or as you as you've recently said you know uh, physical events are coming back in. Yeah. And I think I think it's probably fair to say that none of those are going to disappear, but certainly budget, um, mm-hmm. an increasing amount of budget is going to all virtual platforms. And I think something like 29% of budget actually just goes onto the technology. So there's a, those 300 platforms are... You know, it's, yeah. it's a significant part and, of putting on a virtual show, right? And when 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 LinkedIn says something like that, you know, I would I would take it with uh, a pinch of salt because uh, LinkedIn is trying to make a play for you know for events itself, sure. right? LinkedIn LinkedIn wants people to promote events, create event pages, um, you know, bring in communities, uh, all of that. So it's in mm-hmm. their interest. I mean, there mm-hmm. is a bias when you say that you know people will continue spending on you know virtual event platforms and so on. Of right? course, I don't think but- that's a very I know they've got an extra grind, live live event streaming, etc. I understand that. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting. I mean, listeners will be thinking, you know, they're weighing this up from their own experience. I, right. uh, and I think, you know, it's gonna, you know, we'll have to see and how it pans out. But a question I've got is eventable. So you mm-hmm. um, have this platform that right. brings together mm-hmm. reviews of right. events. Now, mm-hmm. Did you build this so that you knew that there was an increasing amount of virtual events that you would also mm-hmm. want to get feedback on, or is it mainly aimed at physical in-person events? You know, uh, so that's such a good question, Paul, because, um, you know, when we started building this, uh, we were sort of right in the middle of this whole virtual event, um, mm-hmm. you know, revolution, as, as I would call it. Uh, you know, and, and there was a little bit of confusion. I mean, are we building it for in-person events? Are we building it for virtual events? And then we finally got around to, you know, saying it really doesn't matter. Let's just mm-hmm. build it. Uh, and the way the platform is really uh, constructed is that uh, attendees, speakers and sponsors from any sort of uh, event, which is uh, be it, 
virtual, hybrid, or in person can come and share their experiences on, you know, what, what bits they liked, what they didn't like, what can be improved, etc. Right? So mm-hmm. we've now factored in everything. But, you know, I feel strongly about a couple of things over there. One is that uh, though we've now collected, you know, close to, um, you know, two and a half thousand reviews, uh, and we've, we've really seen that, you know, people love giving us these reviews. Uh, 15% of these reviews are from, you know, director and above uh, titles. So even senior folks have contributed a lot of reviews. There's been a real appetite to want to share. But at the same time, when you're providing us with a review for a virtual event, uh, there's, there's a limited scope on, you know, what you can say, right? Because you're, you're literally sitting in front of a screen uh, and your experience is rather limited to that, right? Uh, you're not really taking in the sights and sounds of a new venue, a new city, um, you know, going through the changes of meeting new people mm-hmm. and how your mind responds to that. And I think that as in-person events uh, come back, the reviews will start getting more and more qualitative, right? Uh, and, you know, it's currently it's very limited to the sessions and what they thought about, you know, sure. a particular speaker and so sure. Sure. But I think they'll get they'll get more opinionated, more qualitative in nature as in-person events really come back. Yeah, but we really we really built it. We 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 can really take in everything. So that's uh, okay. you know one of the things that we solve for. Yeah, no, that's good, and I think I think that's a sensible. I mean, I can understand that sort of quandary in the middle of developing it. <laughs> You've obviously got this tsunami yeah. of virtual events. You think, hold on, what are we building, yeah. and how can we build it? Um, I was yeah. taking a good look through the site, and I was really. Mm-hmm taken i was taken in really by the quality of the reviews mm-hmm. that were left right and the mm-hmm. care that people had taken to do that and sure. and i suppose my impression was uh, my question was wow how do you get people to leave reviews because let's face it i get a mm-hmm. lot of uh, invites to go and leave a review on g2 right. and they and they'll right. give me 25 bucks or whatever it is for yep. it. and i'm thinking hold on What's mm-hmm. all that about, right? Uh, yeah. If I want to leave a review, I don't need to. I don't need an incentive for that. So my question yeah. is: Is this something that you're finding you've got to do? What's your thoughts on that whole? Thing? Yeah. So I think you know uh, all review platforms have have uh, accepted the fact that the incentive, or the giveaway, or the Amazon gift card is a part mm-hmm. and parcel of life, right? And a lot of studies uh, have been done into the fact that it really doesn't influence the the quality and the nature of the review. It simply compensates the person, you know, it's a nudge to the person just as a way of saying, hey, thanks, you know, you took 10 minutes out uh, to give me this review and here's something for you, right? And um, so as being a neutral platform, it really doesn't affect the quality of the review. Right. And sorry, what is the other question that um, you had for me? Just uh, no, you know, it, was, no, it was about, stuff. no, uh, well, yeah, so, you know, so, <laughs> no, no, no. So sorry. So, you know, you asked how we got the reviews, right? So right. Uh, yes. we, get them, we, get them, we get them in a, in a couple of different ways. We work with event organizers directly, mm-hmm. um, you know, who, who basically uh, allow us to survey their attendees after the mm-hmm. event is done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we send them a, a link to a survey form, uh, right? And those reviews then are taken in into a platform. And every review goes through a quality check. All right. So we have a quality team that really goes through every review and says that, okay, is this same? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is what this person is saying makes sense? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then only then the review is published. Even after it is published, the event organizer, you know, has an opportunity to log into his uh, administration panel and then flag off a certain review if they think that, you know, it merits a second look. Yeah. Okay. So there's been a fair amount of detail that's gone in. And I think pretty much all review platforms would be operating in, in a robust way, right? Because uh, neutrality and fairness is, is basically the underlying principle of, of the entire project. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's crucial because all the, it comes down to trust. And, yep. and let's look at this word trust. We have mm-hmm. a complex bio journey, which has transformed over the last 
few years so that literally somewhere between 60 and 80% of the, that buying journey, normally by a group of people, is done mm-hmm. without any visibility from the right. vendor. I, the, the vendor's flying in the dark, right? And as you yeah. said, the first thing you do, we go online, we do our research, we're, we're, we're looking for reviews and peer-to-peer reviews, mm-hmm. if, which, which, which obviously form a, a large part of influencing um, yeah. how that journey takes place. I mean, look right. at, you know, look at, look at, for example, I recently had a, um, uh, interviewed on the, on, on the podcast, uh, a senior analyst relations person mm-hmm. and just r- realizing how important yeah. the, you know, the, the reviews that analysts give. And so this is all part of the information, the tsunami of information that, people are looking for in order to get some perspective on how to solve their problem. So trust is absolutely crucial. And I I think, you know, you know, as uh, it's as simple as saying that people want to trust other people, Mm. right? Well, while, while the whole decision-making is uh, process is going on, people trust other people, which is why reviews are so important Uh, because you, you really want to hear from uh, people who are just like you. Right. And uh, you know, that, that puts you at ease. Uh, and that really is why social proof is so important, uh, you know, and not just for attendees, but on the other side, if you were to take a minute and talk about event marketers, right, event marketers, um, you know, understand uh, more and more that social proof is one of the defining elements uh, uh, in their marketing arsenal, right? It can't, be about, it can't be about them saying that they're putting on the world's greatest show anymore, Right. It has to be. It has to come from their attendees. It has to come mm-hmm. from the community. Uh, that social proof and the power of that, you know, you know is 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 just goes a long way in um, building your event brand, uh, you know, and keeping the momentum going for as as long as you can. Uh, without social proof, you know, it's a, it's a little meh because then people are like, uh, you know. Uh, hey, you're telling us you're the world's, uh, you know, greatest event that's going to take place, but we just can't be so sure, right? Which is why platforms like G2 and Trustradius have been so successful, right? Uh, is that because it's not just about uh, SaaS brands uh, uh, marketing themselves anymore or creating a particular narrative. It's because their users want to hear from other users who are just like them. Hey, yes. what was your experience with using HubSpot or with mm-hmm. Salesforce, mm-hmm. right? And then you feel a certain sense of ease and comfort. Okay, that that's, uh, sort of segues into um, the next section, which I'd wanted to explore. Is it's okay, you know, organizing. I mean, there'll be there'll be people listening who are responsible for organizing mm-hmm. events. Yeah. Okay, so you can organize it, whether it's in person, hybrid, virtual. Right. Okay, fair dues. But it's like anything. It's like a piece of content. Without, without distribution, that content is, is really yep. dead weight. Uh, it's Absolutely. pretty useless. Okay. Yeah. So talk to me about, the, the you know, because I'm sure you have insight, is what are the common mistakes that marketers make in a, mm-hmm. deciding, first of all, they're going to have an event. Fine. It could be, right. could be physical. could be virtual. Right. But mm-hmm. at that point, the, the, the common mistakes they make in order to get enough people through the doors. I, how do they right. promote them or not? So uh, I don't think marketers really, you know, set out to uh, make a lot of mistakes, um, you know, especially with the, where the fundamentals are concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so producing the event is fine, but, uh, you know, you have to really focus on, 
the programming of it and who are the speakers going to be? How long are the sessions for? Are you providing for adequate breaks in the middle? Right? Is it is it is it looking like an attractive event? Uh, you know, for the person uh, you're producing it for. I think that is a fundamental question that a marketer really has to sit back and ask himself or ask herself. Uh, and then intuitively, you know, if this is going to work, if it's not going to work, right? Because in this age, and you know, after Zoom came in and the whole um, event tech revolution came in, we also then saw a lot of Zoom fatigue taking place, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, in fact, I remember there was a funny interview where the CEO of Zoom himself said that, you know, I'm suffering from Zoom fatigue and, you know, I've done 15 Zoom calls today. And, you know, so that it, it, it it's really, uh, you know, it is a thing. Uh, so in context of Zoom fatigue, marketers first have to sit back and think, hey, have I really programmed the best possible show with the best possible uh, content uh, for this group that I'm doing it for? And once you're confident, um, you know, that, you know, you are doing uh, the right things uh, there, I think the channels that marketers use really haven't changed so much. Right? They're going to send an email out. Um, they're going to run some ad campaigns. They're going to get the word out on LinkedIn. They're going to reach out to the community. Right. So all of those things fundamentally stay the same. There aren't too many mistakes to be made uh, out there because those channels are what they are. Right. You really can't go, uh, you know, very wrong. But in terms of how you can improve, you can demonstrate social proof. If you want better conversions uh, to your events, you've got to be able to say that, hey, our last edition was great because all these attendees loved us. You know, which is why we provide marketers the ability to uh, take our ratings badges. Uh, and put them on the landing pages and in the emails and right. say that it's not just us. You know, we were voted as the best event for learning and development. or We were voted as the best event for networking, right? So these are the small things that really increase the conversions in your favor. Uh, apart from that, I think, you know, the stuff in the middle about outreach and everything probably is going to stay the same, right? So you start with, have I put on uh, a good program here? Do I have a good agenda? Is, does it look attractive to my audience? Right. And then you really want to say that, look, here's the social proof. Um, here's a bunch of people last year who just loved it. Right. And which is why you should come check this out this year. And I think then it starts to work once you, these are some of the right things that they can do. Uh, and then you'll see uh, the momentum uh, coming in, in your favor. Mm. No, I think, uh, I think that that makes so much sense. I think, Absolutely, social proof. The fact yeah. that you have, uh, well, obviously, word of mouth, right? That's the yeah. that's the first bit of social proof, right? But then, mm -hmm. if you have a system, a platform which um, curates that and allows people Absolutely. to access that properly, and it's legit, and there's trust built in that community, you know, I think that's a, you've 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 hit on a really sweet yeah. spot where there was a gap in the market. So good on you for Absolutely. that. I'm, I'm just looking at some statistics here. This, start, this article from Mark Kaletic. Have you heard of them? Mm -hmm. uh, 60 incredible virtual events, event statistics for 2021. Mm. Research, quite interesting. Now, we talked about Zoom fatigue. 41% uh, yeah. of event organizers use Zoom for their small virtual events. The mm -hmm. runner-up is, guess what? Microsoft Teams, which is 29% of marketing. Yep. Now, this surprised me. The average cost for... And a 37, yeah, sorry, 33.7% of marketeers say that the average cost per virtual event attendee mm -hmm. is between $500 and $1,000. Mm -hmm. that, that, now, I thought, wow, that's okay. At first, I thought, that's a big number. But what do you yeah. think about Dunder? Is that, is, does that ring true? In, do, you, do you have any, any points of reference on that? 
Uh, actually, I don't, uh, Paul. So you know, this is the first time I'm hearing a number like that being being mm. put out, and okay. I would expect that it would it would vary, uh, you know, more widely, uh, you know, than what is being reported, you know, in that study. But uh, mm. you know, that is something I'm going to have to look at more more closely. Yeah, I mean, it ranges, to be honest. There's one here, yeah. like virtual. So there's the average cost per attendee for a large virtual conference is slightly higher, between a thousand and fifteen hundred. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, these are averages, and averages are yeah. distorted, right, by outliers, as yeah. we know. So you've got to take that with a pinch of salt. However, Absolutely. I think I think there will be people there going virtual event. Oh, it doesn't cost anything to put that on, which is right. obviously not correct, right? We've got yeah, platform yeah, costs, yeah. we've got promotion costs, we've got Absolutely. maybe the incentives, etc. So right. you know, listeners should be aware that obviously there is a cost and it needs to be budgeted in. Um, Absolutely. The other thing I also read is that budgets, oddly enough, mm-hmm. are being cut i.e. there's a lot of marketeers that are experiencing budget right. cuts right mm-hmm. so if they're looking at oh we you know this event cost x and and the virtual event cost uh, x divided by three presumably mm-hmm. there's going to be um, a surge towards more virtual events just because they're right. under un, under pressure yeah um okay so tell me um You've you've gone from a career B two B marketeer to mm-hmm. a tech startup, right in right. the thick of it. You launched yep. in June this year. You've got some great traction, a great platform. Right. You've got a number mm-hmm. of views on there. What's been mm-hmm. your biggest challenge, Ankush, in building Eventable? Yeah, so I think um, uh, you know, as a startup, you you see a challenge um, every day. Right. And uh, I think, you know, that's what startups are about. And that's what tech startups mm-hmm. are about. You're constantly, you're solving, you're solving, you're just solving every problem that comes through your, your way. But literally the first um, big challenge that we saw um, last year when we were trying to build this thing uh, was when we noticed that um, we had incorporated, uh, uh, you know, for the fact that, okay, an event organizer or a brand or an enterprise is going to put on this one large event every year. And then they're going to repeat it next year. So it's one event, and you know, and another event next year, and so on. And then with the virtual event platforms coming in, uh, what we saw go down was that a lot of event organizers and brands uh, really wanted to put on smaller shows uh, or editions, if you want to call them, but under the same brand, under the same umbrella. So if it's called a MarTech conference or, you know, or an HR tech something, they really wanted to have like five or 10 of these things, which could be regional. It could be a month on month thing. Um, you know, so my challenge was that how do I adopt uh, for this kind of activity and how do I, you know, allow them to be scored. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we then created a version of what we call a brand score. So a brand can have as many events as they want in a year. Uh, you know, but the the algorithm will still factor in all those scores and output a brand score. So the person can then still see how well the brand really performed, right? An event could have been held in different locations um, around the yeah. globe, but right. still have the same brand, right? So that was a very interesting concept. Uh, and it is something that the other review platforms like G2 and Trustradius haven't really had to deal with, sure. right? Because they, you know, they have one page for like a HubSpot or a Salesforce and the reviews keep accum- accumulating over there. Right, of course. Um, and with events, it's slightly different. Uh, you have editions, right? And every edition, um, you know, can have the same brand. It can be under the mm-hmm. same brand, but really is a different experience because there are different speakers, there's different programming. You know, it's a little bit like a new product, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's called more or less the same thing. Uh, so we really had to find a way to roll this all up under a single mother brand score, right? And have the brand score rank uh, in our ranking of the top 10 or top 20 events and so on. Uh, so that was, I think, the first instance when I, when I really had to solve and think my way through it. Uh, it was usually satisfying to see it work, um, you know, and work so seamlessly, et cetera, right? 
Mm, I really, I, I hadn't thought about that. And that was, is I can see why that was a challenge mm-hmm. because I think obviously the events over the last 24 months have precipitated yep. that, mm-hmm. that change within how events have yep. been run. So you've got these yep. additions, you've got to, almost like a Netflix series of events, right? One brand, right. but the, yeah. the first series might be very different to the seventh. Right, right. The overall scoring Score. is affected. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, okay, I got that. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so one question I wanted to ask you was, you're wearing lots of hats as a startup. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. as, a, as a founder or something. Um, right. What is there um, on your whiteboard today that wasn't there 30 days ago? Oh, oh, lots of things. You know, I can't really, um, you know, and, you know, and because it's a roadmap, I really can't give away uh, too many features. Um, but I think, um, you know, we, we continuously think from the point of view that how can we provide more value to both the event attendee and the event organizer? Right. So what are we doing from a, uh, you know, from an information point of view? How do I make life easier for the event attendee to digest all this information and make a participation decision, you know, much more easier? You know, how do we send out newsletters? Uh, how do we recommend events to someone who's already left us a review? Because now we know what events he's interested in. Right. Same for the event organizers. Right. Um, you know, how can we make their marketing and branding efforts more successful? Uh, so we're continuously adding uh, newer feature sets. Right. We've now added the ability for event organizers to reply to the reviewers. So if they see a review and they wish to reply to it, they can, you know, leave behind a reply uh, with their reasoning and logic, etc. Uh, so and I think we have a couple of exciting things um, coming up over the next month or two. Uh, and for anybody interested, I mean, you can follow me on LinkedIn or, you know, just check out the website uh, or sign up for your own account. And, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. I'm looking forward to your journey yeah. and seeing what comes out of the the stable. Um, yeah. On B two B uncovered, Ankush, we we Absolutely. we interview experts, practitioners mm-hmm. who've been at the at the B two B coalface. Now, interestingly enough, someone got in contact with me. Other, they, they didn't know what I was talking about coalface, mm-hmm. and they looked it right. up, and it was a British expression. I, it's people who've actually got their hands dirty, roll the sleeves up, and it's not all right. theory. And right. you have got yeah. a lot of that experience, mm-hmm. so. What has been perhaps a lesson that you've learned during your 20-odd years? Sorry, I shouldn't yeah. keep going on about that. Um, what right. is a lesson that you've learned that's actually really quite a painful lesson, but it has really changed the direction and you, you've, you've, you've got some great takeaways? So, uh, you, you, know, so that's, uh, you know, thanks for asking me that, Paul, because, you know, anyone watching this right now, um, you know, there's only one piece of advice that I would give you, which has helped me in good stead. Um, you know, and it's the simplest thing, which is, you know, never stop learning. Uh, you know, people say that to you all the time, but how many of us actually do it, right? How many of us actually have a system to keep doing it, to learn something new every day, you know, to become that uh, 1% better every month. Right. And it is that incremental uh, learning and absorption and becoming better that really helps you along your journey. Uh, so as far as I'm concerned, you know, this, this is something I started that really um, came out of, uh, you know, a habit of, uh, and a love for reading. Um so way back in 2005 or 2006 or 2007, when all of these mobile phones with screens came along uh, and iPads came along, right? Uh, one of the first apps that I was using was an app called Flipboard. Uh, 
so Flipboard was an application, you know, and it did very well on the iPad because you could add uh, all the magazines and newspapers and channels that you really wanted to consume content from. And it presented, yep. it, it presented it to you in, in, in like a book format, right? You could actually mm-hmm. flip pages and, you know, uh, and, and that whole process was really fascinating. It made content consumption so much easier. And then, you know, and, and cut to today where you have uh, people spending time on Facebook and LinkedIn. And I think everybody watching this is going to be, or everybody listening to this is, is, is going to be on LinkedIn uh, for a fair amount of time every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and to them, I would suggest that, uh, you know, LinkedIn, you can create a very, very powerful content curation uh, system for yourself, right? No matter at what stage of your career you are at, um, just go out there and follow the top 100 or 200 people who seem interesting to you uh, in your function. So whether it's event marketing or B2B marketing or content marketing uh, or SEO or something like that, right? And soon you will start seeing your feed, uh, you know, which is where most of your information comes down uh, on LinkedIn in, uh, become like a very, very well-tuned system for giving you the information and learning that you need to be on top of every day. Because now you're following, you know, some of the world's brightest minds, some of the world's top experts, at, you know, from different uh, locations, different cities, different countries. And a lot of them are going to be able sharing stuff that they find interesting. Oh, here's an article that I thought I should share with you, right? Or here's a new tool that I came across. Or here's a new piece of MarTech that I came across. Uh, and suddenly, you know, in a very condensed uh, period of time, you can, you can then get a lot more out of it. So that's been one of the greatest hacks, uh, one of the most helpful hacks uh, for me, right? Is to have uh, LinkedIn work in this manner where it really gives me all of that new information every day. And, yeah. you know, uh, B2B marketers... Uh, love that they they love to stay on the cutting edge, right? They love to play with new pieces of Martech, and I think if they, if if they were to try this, um, you know, they will really, um, you know, get hooked on, right? Because this is the best way to just just stay on top of everything. Yeah, no, I totally echo those sentiments. Um, as 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 you know, I spend a fair bit of time on LinkedIn, and yeah. I think for someone who is starting off in their career to Get on top of that early is just going to put you so ahead mm-hmm. of the game because, you know, that's where that's as you said that's you you really are sort of feeding from the fountain of knowledge there. Um, Absolutely, in almost in in real time. And as yep. far as never stop learning, if you've listened to any of these podcasts, it's always the last thing I say. It's our little mantra here. I'm a great yeah. believer in lifelong mm-hmm. learning. And you Absolutely. can never, never know too much. And the day yep. you stop learning is the way is the day that actually you'll start going backwards. <laughs> yeah. So, so there yeah. you go. Um, now, as a busy um, founder, um, yep. I'm interested in in work life balance. You've got mm-hmm. a young son. I've seen a great photo on LinkedIn uh, on Father's Day. Uh, well, it's actually a daughter. I, I, so, I mean, she, she's uh, she's she's oh, five I, now. <laughs> My yeah, apologies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, what's her What's her name? Yeah. Her name is Amira. That's uh, A M E I R A. Amira. Yeah. Beautiful name. So you have a young daughter, and yeah. and um, how do you work, how do you balance the 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 pressures of running a tech startup? I think the uh, you know the the balance is something that comes to you when um, when you have a five year old at home, mm-hmm. and when you come home from work. Um, you know, she makes it abundantly sort of clear to you that um, she's not going to let you focus on anything else except her, right? So, you know, all of those thoughts, all of those plans that I'm going to do this, I'm going to think about that, all of that go out of the window. 
for for as long as uh, she's around because you know, um, you know she's such a bundle of energy that um, you know all all of your attention yeah. and focus is just consumed by her right so that's that's one of the things that really keeps me sane uh, the other thing at the top of the day i like to get in uh, a little bit of tennis all right so i'm like an amateur uh, tennis player love the sport yeah. um, you know and uh, i love the fast nature of it you know the sprint and stop sprint and stop yeah. Uh, yeah. and really gives you the rush and the positive frame of mind that you really need to tackle the rest of your day with right so it's uh, you know it's a blessing to be able to play that every day uh, you know and then come back uh, home to your family so i think you know i just have a lot of gratitude for that yeah no i think i think it's so important isn't it to make mm-hmm. time to yeah. keep yourself both physically and mentally healthy. And I Absolutely. think it also challenges, you know, we can be with other people like a five-year-old or your child, mm-hmm. but actually being present with that with that right. person is very exactly. different from being in the same room. And I think yeah. you know, with this day of the phone, everything just bing, 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 you know, yeah. how many times do you see a parent with their child and actually they're on the phone? <laughs> and you think, mm, The you know, child is on the phone or the parent is on the phone, you know, everybody's on the phone, Indeed, indeed. Yeah. It is a shame, but um, we definitely have to work on that. I think everybody yeah. has, a, has a responsibility to themselves and their loved ones to, mm-hmm. to make sure that they can delineate the, the time between when you're stuck in work and when you're spending time with your, with your family or friends. Um, it's been a, a real pleasure, Angus, to have you as Thank my you, guest Anna. today. Uh, before we wrap up, can you tell listeners where we can learn more about you and how to get in contact? I think the best way um, uh, for listeners is to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, you know, just 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 put an Ankush um, Gupta mm-hmm. eventable on LinkedIn. You know, I'll pop right up. Uh, connect with me. Um, I'll be more than happy to connect with you. Uh, you know, follow whatever it is that you're posting. Um, you know, share some of my thoughts with you, and do check out our uh, our website eventable.com. Um, and love to hear from all of you. Perfect. Thanks again, Ankush. And thank you to all our listeners. Have a fabulous day thank and <laughs> never, stop, never learning. stop learning. See you on yep. the next episode. Absolutely. Cheers. 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 Thanks, Paul. Thanks. Thanks again for joining me on B2B Uncovered. If you liked this episode, then please hit the subscribe button. Want to go the full hog? Hey, yeah, I'd love a rating from you. Just tap the number of stars that you'd like to give us. As we're just getting going, that's going to help tremendously. Thank you.